And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our strength, and you are our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. How good it is to be in the house of the Lord with you on this second Sunday of the Easter season. And one of the things that the church calendar reminds us of, uh, something that we need to take full advantage of in celebration, is the fact that Easter is not a day. Easter is a season. And Easter is that which uh, permeates all parts of our lives when we believe in and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And today we are starting a new worship series where, as I shared with the children earlier, we're starting at the very beginning of one book in the Bible, and we're going to spend the next seven weeks going through that book. And it's unusual that the lectionary um, gives us that opportunity throughout the year, but this is one of those opportunities where every Sunday for the next seven weeks, the, uh, the, the first letter of John to the churches is one of the readings. So we're, gonna, we're starting at the very beginning today, and we're going to work our way through this letter. And every week I'm going to share a little bit with you just about the background of the letter, the circumstances where it came from, and then we're just going to go through the passage and pull out some nuggets of truth that are available to us to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the things we have to keep in mind as we move through this passage today, John was one of Jesus' inner circle. He was not only among the, uh, the 12 closest apostles to Jesus, he was one of the ones that got to see Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop. He was one of the three uh, that Jesus spoke to about things he didn't talk to some of the others about. John witnessed things and experienced things that not very many people on this planet ever got to do. John got to see that face to face. Now John, because he was face to face with Jesus. Now after Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus is raised, he ascends into heaven, and the disciples begin the really tough work of building what we now know as the church of Jesus Christ. Not just the gathered people in this building today or the gathered across our various buildings virtually, but the church on a global scale. And friends, let's just take a moment right now and recognize the miracle of this, that everything we experience as the body of Christ began with fishermen and net menders and tax collectors and then a variety of other folks of just ordinary who came from everyday ordinary occupations, but they believed in the one who was extraordinary and gave up everything to follow him. Just think about that. They had very few of them had any theological training. Some of them had very little academic training. And yet the church that we now know today that it, that spans across the world, across denominations and traditions and worship styles, all of that began in this little tiny part of the world in a small group of people who believed in something bigger than themselves. That is an astounding miracle to wrap our minds around. In fact, miracles are something that we can't wrap our intellect around. And yet John is here as one of the leaders of the early church trying to get across to people why, who Jesus Christ is, why he matters, and what we are called to do as his disciples. Now, after Jesus is raised from the dead, and, he's, and, and then after 50 days he ascends into heaven, John and the other disciples are working to tell the good news. They didn't have a seven-point building plan of how to build the church. They didn't have uh, really any kind of long-term plan. All they did was tell the story. They told the story of Jesus being raised from the dead, of him coming and saving us, and that 
that was all that they had to go on. And they did this, and as time goes on, John and, and the letter John's letter comes years uh, comes along years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. As time goes on, like with all of us, it became very easy for people to lose sight of why Jesus mattered and who Jesus was. The further people, the, as more time went by and more people got away from the reality that Jesus had walked on the earth, you only had these few eyewitnesses who had seen him and heard him, it became a little harder to believe as time went on. And John was taxed with this responsibility with the others of, of writing letters and preaching sermons and interacting with people and trying to get across to them who Jesus is and helping them also, very importantly, not to forget who Jesus is. Because we all know we're very easily influenced by the fact that our memories are limited. And when we can't rely on the memory of our minds, we have to depend on the memory of our hearts. And that is what the disciples are appealing to. That's what John is doing here. He's writing to churches that have begun to forget the, the, the basics of Jesus' message. They've forgotten, they've begun to forget exactly what Jesus has done and who he is. And he's trying to remind them of this. And let, I want to give you a very uh, probably relatable, I think this is going to be a very relatable example of what John was dealing with and something that we can carry as well. Now, about a week, a week or two ago, I was somewhere uh, in public and I had my mask on. And a man came up to me who was also wearing a mask and he just started talking to me. And I had that moment of panic that I bet everybody in here has had where it was that this feeling of, I know that I know this person, but I have no clue who this person is. And having the mask on and, and, and everything, it had been a long time since I had seen him. I was standing there thinking, I don't know who this person is. Holy Spirit, help, tell me who it is. You know, and we've, everybody's had that moment, right? Especially uh, probably sometime over, uh, in the past year. And in the, but what I, what I did instead, I realized, okay, the only way I'm going to figure out who this person is that I'm talking to is to listen to him. Because he was talking. He was just chattering away. Now, I will say he never called me by name, so I'm convinced that he really didn't fully recognize me either. Um, but he, I, just, I said, okay, I'm just going to listen to him and see what happens. And as I listened to him, the puzzle pieces began to come together. And I began to realize, okay, I know him from this. And then as he talked some more and as we engaged in conversation, I realized who he was and before the conversation was over was able even to call him by name before he walked away. But I bring that example before you because there are two factors in there that, help, that prevent us from recognizing people. One of them is the passage of time. When time goes by and you don't see somebody, it can be hard to recognize them simply because time has passed. And the second thing that figures into that, anytime there is any kind of change involved uh, in, in, in recognizing a person, that can keep us from recognizing them as well. And it can be something as simple as wearing a mask. It can be a new hairstyle. It can be, and I know some of you have been through this before, where you know somebody from church, but then you run into them at the store, and you know you've seen them somewhere, but you can't remember exactly what their name was. Friends, that's part of being human. But what it is, is that what is recognition is so influenced by time passing and by change coming in. And that's what the early disciples are dealing with. Time has passed since Jesus walked the earth, and culture has changed. There are different things going on. Jesus looks different in the body of Christ than he did in bodily form when he walked the earth. And people are forgetting how to recognize Jesus in the world. And John sees that this is a problem, and so he uses his voice 
to bring the voice of Jesus into the early church with this letter and entered and remind them, okay, okay, if you pay attention to this voice, if you pay attention to what he is saying, then you will recognize him, you will remember him, and thus people will recognize Jesus in you as well. So that's where John is coming from in today's passage, is, he, is that time has passed, people are having trouble recognizing Jesus, and one of the best ways that he reintroduces people to Jesus and helps them to remember and reflect him is by using some of his own words. If you look with me again in verses 1 and 2, listen to what John says. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you, this is verse 3, what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John off the bat is saying, okay... Uh, He doesn't even tell us who he is. He doesn't tell us in these first three verses why he's writing. We'll get to that in a moment. But he immediately says, okay, this is who Jesus is. And if you look closely, if you take your Bibles this week and you open to the Gospel of John and you keep a finger in 1 John and go back and forth, everything John says in these first three verses, Jesus said something similar in John's Gospel. And in fact, John's Gospel begins with the famous prologue, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John is using this language to remind people Jesus is the Word made flesh. One of the greatest arguments he was running into, we'll get to them in a moment, but one of them was that Jesus was just a great teacher. As time went by, people began, people quit recognizing Jesus as Messiah and began to think of him just as a human good teacher. And John is saying, no, 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 let me remind you of who Jesus is. And he puts that before us. And in this familiar greeting that he gives us today, he uses the familiar words of Jesus. Do you notice that he talks about eternal life? What was it that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John's gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him would have eternal life. John is using the same language to remind people of who Jesus is and helping them to recognize him over and over. But then John doesn't stay in the past. I love this about scripture. So often there is reference to the past. The past is brought in, but there is always a focus on our present responsibility and our future action as well. And that is what John quickly goes to in this greeting. He's saying, this is what we've declared to you. This is what we've done. And then in verse four, he gives us a thesis statement. Where are my English majors out there? Don't we love a thesis statement that tells us exactly what the point of this whole letter is. Verse 4 does that for us where John says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's the, that's the purpose of this letter, for joy to be complete. Well, we may say, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, John goes on to explain that a little bit more, but one of the things that I think is so important, a word that shows up over and over in today's passage is the word fellowship. Now, fellowship is not the same as socializing. Socializing is something that uh, has a superficial level to it. 
When you fellowship with somebody or with a group of people, you go deeper. You go into deeper conversations. You get into uh, the conversations and the knowing each other better. Not just knowing about each other, but knowing each other in fellowship. And, And socializing can lead to fellowship, definitely. But John is saying that in the fellowship of believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, what we are looking for is for as many, we want as many people as possible to know that Jesus loves them, to receive him the Savior and to come into this global fellowship that Christ created with his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And John is saying, look, joy is incomplete without you. I love that this passage came up here on Confirmation Sunday because we have five young people who have joined this church and our joy is not complete without each and every one of them. And some of y'all may be chuckling at me and saying, well, all, all I did was come forward and answer a few questions today. But no, when you answer those questions, you are becoming a part of the joy of what God is doing here. And this is a huge step forward for all of us to remember that we are a part of completing the joy of Jesus. Friends, when we think about the fact when we reject Jesus, when we turn away from him, when we don't believe those who don't believe in him are missing out on completing his joy, completing the joy of the fellowship of believers. That is what he is calling us into today. Every single one of us contributes to the joy of Jesus. And John is saying, okay, this is what uh, this is why I'm writing. This is why we're here. And now let's go over some of the basics. And he goes into a bunch of if-then statements that in the early service I had time to go through each and every one of them. We're not going to go through all of them in detail today, but I encourage you to look at these beginning in verse 6 because John brings up some of the rumors that are around, some of the uh, false teaching that is circulating, and, uh, and, he's, and he's encouraging people to remember who Jesus is and why he matters. He says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not know what is true. To follow Jesus is to not walk in darkness. He's saying you can't have it both ways. You have to choose light or darkness. He goes on to say if we walk in the light, this is verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's reminding everyone that Jesus died for our sins. This is what he did. This is why he's so powerful. And then in verse 8, he gets into something that I think is so relevant to us today that I do want to take a moment to point out. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It is so easy for us to deceive ourselves in this day and age, not to reject the, 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 the thinking that Jesus uh, died for our sins. Yes, many of us could say if we did a poll of hands like we did with the children earlier, and I said, okay, do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Most of us would raise our hands, but what does happen is that, that, it becomes no, that we minimize that as a priority in our lives. We say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but then we don't act like it on a daily basis. When we leave the church building for the other six days of the week, it, we, we don't our lives don't always reflect that. And John is saying that, you, and people are deceiving themselves, saying, oh, sin's not a real thing. I don't need deliverance from that. But John is saying to us here to remember what matters, to get our priorities in order. And the confession of our sin in verse 9 we remember is that he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is reminding us here in these powerful words and in this teaching as he goes through things, uh, beliefs that we need to reject and beliefs that we need to accept. 
and this is so true today, friends, that there are always other belief systems, always other philosophies, always other thinkings that are trying to interfere to tell us that Jesus is not the Messiah. For, for centuries upon centuries, there has been false teaching, and what John is reminding us of is remember what matters. Remember who Jesus is, that we need him and that he desires us to complete his joy. And as we go, and as John goes through each and every one of these, he reminds us of the fact that we are sinners in need of God's grace. He goes through these basic priorities and says the way that you recognize Jesus is to recognize that he is the Savior, that he has delivered us, and that we do need him. And as we learn to recognize Jesus in the world, may it be may we get to the point that people recognize Jesus reflected in our lives by walking in the light and not the darkness, by being quick to admit when we have sinned and not deceive ourselves. It is so easy in the day and age to rationalize everything. And what John is reminding us of is that the resurrection can't be rationalized. We cannot explain fully the miracle of the resurrection, but we believe it, we follow it, we do what Jesus has called us to do and to tell the good news. And I love the fact that John ends this part of the passage today in verse 2 of chapter 2 by saying that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I want us to move into the time of communion with this reminder, friends. It is easy for us to live in a small world mentality. We get, and believe me, uh, if you met my dog Isaac, you would know that we live in small dog mentality. We live, in, we live in a small world mentality. I mean, he walks down the street and it's like he is seeing it for the first time and smelling the, 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 the smells of that street for the first time. Everything around him and in his circle is all that he needs. And as humans, we become that way. We can easily become that way too. We get so caught up in our world and so caught up in our lives that we often, it's easy to forget that there is a worldwide church, that there is a much bigger world that God has called us to pray for and to move into. Our confirmands earlier said in their vows that they would reject evil and injustice and oppression and on a global scale. It is important for us to remember that Christ calls us to tell the news to the whole, the good news to the whole wide world. This is not just a message for West Point, Mississippi. It's not just a message for our individual families. This is a message that took over the world, and God is calling us to keep a world view that Christ died not just for us as individuals, but for the whole world and all who would believe in him. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the one who gave up his life. And as we receive his body and his blood today, may we be reminded that this is not something that we created, but it is something that, it is something that we engage in to help us recognize Jesus. Recognize him over and over again. And the hope and the prayer is that others will recognize Jesus in us as his body and as, and as his forgiveness is lived out in our lives. As we come to the Lord's table today, may we do so in a way that completes his joy. May we, may we receive his gift and may we reflect the one that we recognize as King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.